Welcome to the feature series, How Roger Penske Changed the Indy 500 on the Marshall Pruitt Podcast, which celebrates the most successful entrant at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on the 50th anniversary of his first event in 1969. Presented by Cooper Tires, the Justice Brothers, and Bell Racing Helmets, a long-standing partner of Team Penske, this 15-part series spans some of the greatest drivers, managers, mechanics, engineers, and the man himself, Roger Penske, to document the captain's vast influence on America's defining motor race, the Indy 500, and in many instances, the sport as a whole. We'll also be joined by a reporter who covered Penske's Indy debut a half century ago and some of his fiercest rivals, many of whom admit to being fans of the 82-year-old icon. Our guest on this episode of How Roger Penske Changed the Indy 500 is Robin Miller, his very first Indy 500 as a Cub reporter for the Indianapolis Star fell in 1969, the same year as Penske's debut, giving the two titans of the sport a shared 50th anniversary. Robin Miller, we are looking at the influence and impact of Roger Penske at the Indy 500 since his and the team's debut 50 years ago. You were here for that. I wasn't even born yet. I still had another year and, and a half of, of, of conceptualization to go on. What comes to mind when you think about RP and the influence he's had on this facility, on this institution? You've been here for all of it. Well, Marshall, he, he didn't just change the face of the Indianapolis 500. He changed the face of open-wheel racing. He, his imprint is all over it, and his footprint's all over it, and it and when he came here, you know, we, I knew who Roger Penske was. as URRC Driver of the Year, Sports Illustrated, cover once. We knew who Mark Donahue was because he was a hell of a road racer. But I, I, I think I did a column a couple of weeks ago, and Dan Luganbuehl walked into the, media center, the old media center and shook everybody's hand and passed out his card, and he had a tie and a coat on. And we're like, what? you know, there were no PR people. And if you need if you need to talk to Roger, please let me know, and we'll set it up. And and uh, you know, Roger has he always had a a real nice sweater and pants and a shirt. I mean, he just Mario said it best. Mario said he just looked like class when he walked. You know, he just looked. And Mario's like, I expected big things out of this guy because I knew how what he'd done in sports cars. But I don't know that anybody expected. I mean, I didn't say it in the I didn't write it in the column probably like I should have. But when they they would roll the car out every night, and they would polish the garage floor, and then they, all, they were constantly polishing the wheels and, and making sure the car was clean. And you sat guys are laughing at them, like, what, the, what, are you, what are you people doing? We're here for three weeks. Get, get serious. You're going to polish the floor? And that's just that regimented system. That's just the way they operated. And nobody was mean to them or rude to them or anything. I mean, they, they, was very prof- I mean, they weren't treated poorly at all, and Roger says that. It's just that... It was such a culture shock because these are bu- this is a bunch of fly-by-night seat-of-the-pants racers mo- for the most part. They had three or four guys in a crew, open-wheel trailers, and you know there, no one had ever been organ- No one had ever seen anybody be that organized. And sure, I think you know Donahue did a good job that year, but you still you know you weren't sure exactly. You know you're thinking, oh, well, you know it'd be great if Pinsky stuck around and became a full-time guy someday. But when he showed up in 1971 with the McLaren, that's when everybody went, uh-oh, this guy's pretty serious. So I just think, you know, in terms of 
I guess if you took a step back, maybe you shouldn't be surprised. But I don't. Nobody saw him change in the face of open wheel racing like he did. Nobody saw that. What was the adoption time like? Because we, if we wind the clock back, knowing that RP and the imprint that that team brought, it eventually covered over everyone and everything. What did you see in terms of the timeline for that being adopted, going from, okay, what, what kind of weirdos are these, what kind of college button-up guys are these trying to you know, come here to the Midwest and act out of the norm for expectations of Indy? Was there a point where you started to see others go, maybe there's something to it after all? I just remember Dan Gurney saying, these guys will be serious players. Because him and Roger raced, and him and Parnelli raced, and they both had high regard for Roger as a driver, and obviously then as an owner and, and manufacturer. And, and, but I think that um, everybody's doing your own thing, and your head down in your back. But I think 71, when he showed up, when he came with the McLaren, I think that if you weren't paying attention, you, you started then. But Gurney was pay, Dan was paying attention, and uh, I'm not sure a lot of other people were because, like I said, you know, we still had dirt cars in the champ car division in 1969. And so, and so you know, you're kind of like, uh, you know, where's this going? Is this guy, is, this, is he just going to be an Indy 500 guy only? And because and Donahue's such a good road racer and there's not that many road races in USAC. So, but no, it was just this complete um, and utter uh, not only changing the guard, but just the way he approached it. And to make a deal with McLaren, obviously looking, I mean, I guess maybe maybe everybody couldn't have done that, Marshall, but he was smart enough to go, uh, these guys are pretty, you know, they're Formula One guys, and face of in, in the face of open wheel racing is changing as far as aerodynamics are starting to become into play and things like that. So, you know, I said in the story he's the smartest guy I ever met, but I think that's just a typical move of his who he aligned himself with. Obviously, Roger, as the standard bear for the team we know we can name a mark donahue as not just first driver but from the driving and technical side was the roger penske of that portion of the company who are some of the other people that you got to know within their organization in the early years that you can look back to now and say on top of mark on top of roger you know Carl as well. Carl Kanehofer. Right? But who are some of the Don other ones Miller. you look back and go, in these areas, these folks had similar impact? Everybody had a job. See, there, were, there weren't specialists in Marshall. You had three or four guys on a team, so everybody had to do a little bit of – everybody was kind of a fabricator. You know, if somebody crashed, everybody jumped in and helped fix the corner of the car or whatever like that. I think Roger's the first guy. Carl Kanehofer was his engine guy. Don Miller kind of oversaw everything. And then, you know, look at the – just look through the years – in the last 20 or 30, look at the turnover at Penske. Not much. His loyalty factor, the way he treats people, the way he pays people, the way he rewards people. And you look at the drivers, Rick Mears and Elio and Jill. And look at all the guys that he – Tom Sneva, even though they didn't get along, he helped Tom invest money and make – you know, if you were a Roger Penske driver or a mechanic, you realize pretty quick it ain't going to get better than this. I need to hang on to this or I want to stay here. You raise a great point that I'd love to hear some thoughts on. 
from the driver front, there are very few that I can think of over these 50 years, not just at the Speedway, but in CART and IRL, IndyCar Series today. There are very few I would pull off of the list of either Hall of Famers or potential Hall of Famers. There are a couple we'd probably say, all right, I don't know if Tarso Marquez. Yeah, you you know. know, Okay guy, okay driver. Yeah, But just in terms of all-time Hall of Famer, maybe not. But the point being is if you do start looking at that list, there aren't too many names to pull off where you go, oh, that was the monster of their day. Same thing crew chief-wise, mechanic, engine builder, gearbox. That's also rather amazing. But I also think, although Rogers we've known has been, you know, at the forefront on the commercial side and sponsorship, uh, he hasn't wanted for much. You don't get that just because of money, though. People, not everybody just shows up for a big paycheck. Speak to that about all the people that you go, holy cow. Marshall. Bobby Hillen. Uh... Rick Gallus, they wanted they 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 wanted to emulate Roger Penske. He was their idol. He they wanted their team to be just like him. They wanted to build their own cars, and they did. And sadly, they went through all their money and eventually had to get out of racing because you hit the nail on the head. You can have a lot of money, but you better know how to spend it. And when you look at him and you think about. I'm, I'm telling. He he was always five steps ahead of the posse. About, I mean, he picked Rick Mears. He, he watched Rick Mears run a, run that theater or the uh, yeah for Teddy Yip. He had that old McLaren, so he watched him two or three times and like ran fourth or fifth in Milwaukee and Trenton or something, and offered him offers him a part time ride. Well, Roger obviously knows a lot about driving a race car because he was a good driver. So he picks him up. He picks Tom Sneeve up when he's driving for Grant King, you know. I mean, Sneva was fast, but you didn't know he was going to be. There. Paul Tracy has one race for Dale Coyne, and boom, he's in the Penske trailer. Was, uh, we won't, let's talk about the future. So, Greg Moore, I mean, God knows how many Indy 500s he might have won. Uh, Elio had a lot of potential. It, it was real. I mean, but was he in, was he in demand? Well, not necessarily, no. I mean, when Greg lost his life, Elio was walking across the parking lot, and they swept him into Penske's. Motorhome and said, "Hey, you know we want you to come drive for us." And that had to be as you know, and the whole thing happened in a couple hours. But there are think about this, Marshall. How many times has he got it wrong about a driver? Not very often. Not maybe never. I mean, you know, I mean, look at his championships and look at the Indy 500 and stuff like that. So I just think he's got. He's just he's an amazing businessman. He's the greatest sponsor finder and keeper. of. Not only does he find sponsors, they stay forever because he knows how to treat them. And he was the first guy that paid attention to, we are going to take care of our sponsors. First and foremost, whoever it is, Gould, Marlboro, uh, Penzo, whoever we got, we're taking care of them. And uh, he was the first guy that really paid attention to that and realized... Excuse me. This is we got to cultivate this thing. This we don't want these guys around for one or two years. Look how long these sponsors lasted with him. It's just a testament to it's such a professional, first class, polished operation. It'll never be topped. Since 1954, the Indianapolis Motor Speedway has served as the proving grounds for the world's most legendary helmet brand. 
From Jimmy Bryan to Mario Andretti and Elio Castroneves, Bell Helmets has and continues to protect some of the all-time greats. Follow the journey on social media at Bell Racing HQ or by visiting bellracing.com. We're celebrating Roger and the team this month. Speaking of celebrating, because I always just love hearing some of these stories from you, the perception, I think, by most of Roger is he must wake up and go to sleep in a suit and tie. Hair is always perfect. This man must be just operating life as a church-going paragon, winner in the boardroom, drinks nothing but milk and says his prayers. You, Robin Miller, have seen from time to time that our beloved Mr. Penske has also been known to cut loose a little bit, not well, saying often, but you've, you've seen Roger let his hair down once or twice. Well, the greatest thing was there was a big party in Mexico City after the last race of the year in 80 or 81, and RP got hammered. I'm pretty sure he was laying on the, I'm, I don't know if he was laying on the floor throwing up, but he was sick. Sneva was sick. Everybody was throwing up. I don't drink. So I was trying to help the guy. You know, I was trying to help the guy drive the bus back to where our hotel was. And, and, but I think Roger's got, he's an automatron. He, I've never seen anybody work that hard. He, he goes from continent to continent. He does business in airplanes. He's so driven by, he's 82 years old, Marshall. He looks great. And his mind is amazing. And so just, just, to get Roger to just, you know, kick back and, and, and like the story I did, there was a really good picture I found of A.J. Foyt and Roger, and he, and he called me. He goes, oh, can you give me a copy of that picture? I've never seen it. Sure, I'll get you a copy. He goes, God, we need, he goes, I love the old days. They were so cool. Well, how could you not? Because as much as he likes, as, as dominating as his team has been, he liked the idea that he had his own car. And you know what was great about Penske? If his car didn't work, he'd go get a March or a Lola. You know what? His ego never got in the way of common sense. Whatever I got to buy to make these guys win, I'm going to buy. Well, how many, you know, yeah, he had the wherewithal to do it, but he also had the smarts to say, hey, I can swallow my, if, if, our, if the Penske chassis is not that good, we'll go get something else. Let's stay on this theme. We're sitting here speaking after the conclusion of the Indianapolis Grand Prix. We had our pal Mike Shank here just an hour or two ago with his first ever podium trophy in IndyCar. Had the bottle of champagne here, keepsakes for him. I refer to Mike as the people's champion because he's the realest guy among team, heck, probably the realest guy in IndyCar. Again, Roger has this reputation of this stately person, which he's earned, but there is a realness to him as well where if you earn your keep you prove that you are talented and committed although you know he's the boss he doesn't see himself as that man at the top of the food chain looking down there's a real kind of eye-to-eye thing about roger that i think for those who don't know him would be surprised to learn that no this guy's real yeah i mean he walks in people have told me he walks into a boardroom and says Addresses the first eight guys by their first name. He's met them once or twice. And, and, and he knows all the guys on the teams and things like that. But you know what? When I got cancer a couple of years ago, he called me three times in the first month and a half and said, I can send a jet. I can get you in the Mayo Clinic. I can give you, you need money. He didn't have to do that. I mean, Roger and I, you know, we had some, 
We threatened to kill each other once before the start of the Pocono 500, and, you know, he didn't have to do that. And he's, you know, he offered to help other racers that were in need. I know that for a fact. I asked him once to help a friend of mine, Larry Rice, when he got cancer, and I said, Roger, would you, could you help him get in the Mayo Clinic? And he said, absolutely. Let me know, and, you know, when Larry passed, I mean, it never happened, but I think about, I think what I think about Roger is, is that, you know, he likes, he's pretty funny, because I sent him a picture once of him at Watkins Glen or something, and it was a Cooper, maybe you saw the picture of a red car, Marshall yep. Cooper with a badass engine in it, yep. and he goes, Yep, he goes, typical Penske, unfair advantage. I kicked their ass. <laughs> but, I mean, he exploited the rule book in 1994. He beat USAC over the head with it because he's smart. He got Mercedes fired up. To always be out in front of things and to always, um, yeah, he, he's driven by success and winning, but he's the guy that kind of blended business with his pleasure, which was racing. Look what he's done. Look at how his business grew thanks to racing. I mean, he's, I mean, on every level, he was a trendsetter. And, and it's what everybody aspires to be. Our pal Mike Shank and, and Ricardo Yunkos and all these, they all, they somehow want to get close, you know, maybe not to that level, but in that conversation, I want to be like Roger Pinsky. Well, when he's gone, brother, there's nobody, I mean, there's nobody like, I mean, I don't know who's, I can't think of anybody that's that's had the impact he's had and the success, and he still gets as big a kick out of coming here in May as he did 50 years ago. This is what he lives for. I mean, he lives for business. Don't get me wrong, but in you know the Indy 500 is that's all he cares about. He really no, I shouldn't say that. He loves his wife Kathy, and he cares about his family and his kids. But he this is the thing that occupies his mind. Man, he wants to figure out how to win the Indy 500. You can win five championships for him. He don't care. He wants to win Indy. Let's close on this. I competed against Roger for however many years <coughs> when I was a mechanic or engineer or something on one of the rival teams that never beat him, but respected him, obviously knew him. You see him and you go, oh, gee, well, that's Roger Penske. It's surreal to think, at least in this new role, where I have a reason to actually communicate with him a relationship has been built. There's a relationship that goes back and forth. The two of you have known each other forever and I know are much closer. That to me says something, Robin, because in many other sports, press, media, just let's just say the folks not in your immediate organization, they're part of the background. You see it, you interact when you need to, but they're not really part of your organization. The fact that he extends... Uh, real relationships to those I guess that he either trusts or otherwise this is Roger Penske we're talking about that still blows me away well Marshall I mean there was a couple times when I was not very fair to him in a column I didn't give him a chance to respond I just cut his heart out once after Milwaukee and and a couple times you know it was very on my part as a journalist it was I should have called him up and didn't you know, you always, I always cheer. I wrote a column once. I said, I can't watch him take another victory lap in India. It makes me crazy. They win every race. But at some point in time, you go, you know what? You've got to give this guy some respect and some credit, man. He's unbelievable. And he puts this thing together. But no matter what I did to him, or, you know, as mad as we got each other a few times, he never held a grudge. 
if I'd go to Michigan, I always had a parking spot and went to Nazareth. I have whatever he tracking on. He he was so professional. He, he didn't hold a grudge and go, I'll show that guy, because he knew, like you know, racing was my passion, and he knew I cared about it. And and uh, I think he he's not a petty person. He's not like that. He, he's just too classy and he's too professional. But I think what's interesting is is that when AJ Foyt walks up to a group of people. They all stop talking because it's A.J. Foyt. <clears throat> Same thing with Roger Penske. If, he's, if the captain's got something to say, you better shut up and listen. Because, you know, and he's funny because if he wants to know something, I don't know if he comes right out and asks ask you. He'll just kind of throw something out there. A little kinda, circular. Kind of circle the wagon and say, hey, well, what have you heard about this? You know, what, you know that kind of stuff. And, like, like we're going to tell him, I mean, there ain't much he doesn't know or he doesn't hear first, so you're not going to tell him anything new. But during the split, you know, he would call me or I'd, I'd, I'd be at a champ or kart race, and he'd, he'd call me in and say, what's going on? Are we ever going to get back to Indy? I mean, it just made him crazy that he wasn't at the Indy 500. And, um, you know, then when he made the move, it changed, obviously, the entire axis of open-wheel racing changed because Ganassi and, and Murray Hall and Fernanda, and they all followed him. And, uh, you know, I mean, <clears throat> thankfully, we're all back together, and IndyCar's got some momentum, and it's the best series in the, in the world right now as far as competition. And, again, does he win the most races at Indy? Does he win the most championships? Yeah, but he doesn't win all of them, and you don't – he's just he's – he likes to compete, and I think he kind of thinks it's cool that, you know what, you get a good car and a good engineer and a good driver, you got a chance. Roger Penske, 50 years here at the Speedway. We're also celebrating 50th anniversary of Mario Andretti's win. Those are the two big things folks are, I think, thinking of this year at the 500. What year is this for you covering the 500? 51st. Well, 50, I mean, I, I started at the Star in 68, but I really didn't write about it till 69. So me, I think Roger, because Roger said something to me the other day, he goes, what was your first year? I said, well, really, 69, you know, about, I mean, that's when I first started writing stories. I worked at the Star in 68 and answering the score phones, but they wouldn't let me write because I was a hack. I kind of Was still a am. hack. I kind of still am a hack. But uh, it's interesting because I was talking to Danny Luganville on the phone there, and he goes, can you believe it's been 50 years? And he said, Roger told Sunoco, we'll win the Indy 500 in three years. It took him four. We'll win the Indy 500 in three years. It took him four. And he says, 50 years later, he still race. Who would have ever dreamed that? Who would have ever thought this guy's still going to be doing this 50 years later? Which says a lot about him and his character and his drive and his passion. Because, you know, I mean, I just remember, you know, how many people, I mean, we're all eaten up by racing. And you got to work on cars here, and I did too. And, and you know, there's something about Indy that gets a hold of you but the first time he came, his dad brought him here in 52 to watch the race that was it he was like I, I, I'm going to be part of that race someday and he could have driven he could have driven a car and decided now nah, I'm going to be a businessman and Mario got his ride that, both careers turned out okay I think and that was how Roger Penske changed the Indy 500 you can catch this series in more than 500 episodes at the brand new Marshall Pruitt podcast com site all brought to you by Cooper Tires the Justice Brothers and Bell Racing Helmets.